Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems around the world adopt technology, with me, Tiasha Zaitz. In June 2021, France announced a 7.5 billion euros large health innovation plan as part of a broader financial investment to boost the French industry. This funding goes beyond digital health. It's aimed at supporting biotech development, startups, medtech, and more. In 2021, an e-health acceleration strategy, which includes the Ministry of Health, Ministry of Economy, Finance and Recovery, the Ministry of Higher Education, Research and Innovation, and the General Secretariat for Investment, was also launched, a large part of which includes the upskilling and training new and existing healthcare experts, medical and social workers in digital health. In today's discussion, you will hear from Luisa Stue, the project director of the Ministerial e-health delegation at the French Ministry of Health. We discussed how the French strategy was designed, who was involved, and what has been realized to date. We also talked about the secondary use of healthcare data in France, and what's the process for reimbursement of digital therapeutics and telemonitoring. Enjoy the show and check out the show notes because you will find the links mentioned in the discussion there. And if you haven't yet, do check out fodh.substack.com. That's the website or the address for our newsletter, which comes out roughly every four to six weeks. And if you will enjoy the show, do subscribe to the podcast to be notified about the new episodes automatically. Thank you. Now let's dive in. Louisa, hi, and thank you so much for joining this discussion on basis of digital health about France, the French legislation of digital health and especially digital therapeutics. If we just look at the broader picture of how France is developing digital health in June 2021, France announced a 7.5 billion euros fund for health innovation. It refers to funding beyond digital health. It's aimed at supporting biotech development, startups, medtech, and more. So how would you put this investment in the European context? What do you see in other countries and how they're trying to encourage the digital transformation? Thank you so much for inviting the Digital Health Delegation of the French Ministry of Health for this interview. Indeed, the French digital health strategy is obviously a national strategy, but it also was developed looking at what other neighbors did. And what's important also to keep in mind here is that it's not just a health strategy, because as you just mentioned correctly, for the French 2030 plan, there's other areas, other domains involved. And so the development of our strategies have usually historically included also other ministries. So to give you an example, the National Digital Health Acceleration Strategy, which is funded by more than 700 million euros, is co-coordinated together with us, Digital Health Delegation, with the Ministry of Economy, the Ministry of Research and Education, and so many more actors of the ecosystem. So it's really important to know that those strategies cannot just be built 
in the health framework, but also concern the digital and economic sectors, obviously. And that make, makes the health, the digital health solution so specific because in the European realm, as you mentioned, the European Union, health is a national competency, but digital is a shared competency. So we navigate between those two spheres and it's important that we also use the right and deploy the right actors into the strategies. So that's important to have the multiple actors associated, the multiple ministries, as in our case. What also applies at the EU level is now that we have really a European single market. This also applies for digital health. And it's really important, and that's also what we do increasingly, is that we get involved into European calls and actions and to European, for example, funding as part of EU for Health. And now we've just started to deploy My Health at EU. I mean, it's been several years France has been involved, but now we're also looking into the e-prescription part to really make this My Health at EU scheme a reality. That means that citizens can actually travel throughout the European Union and get access to healthcare without any preoccupation. Their healthcare providers can access their healthcare records no, no matter what country and what language because it's all translated. And so that's really for us, Digital Health European Union, and we should move forward. And you mentioned the entrepreneurship and entrepreneurs, and there's still more to be done to foster bilateral, multilateral calls for companies so that they can position themselves in the different countries. I've got a bunch of follow-up questions there, but maybe we can start with how the whole approach in France was built. We're always very curious in how other countries are doing, how they approach a specific problem or a specific strategy. So how was that done in France? Um, Many people compare the DTX framework that France is introducing to what Germany did with their DIGA framework. So what was the journey like? Great question. So it all started off in France in 2019 with former health minister Agnès Buzyn, who actually adopted a push for the strategy called My Health 2022, Ma Santé 2022. And this strategy really incorporated digital health and led to the creation of the ministerial digital health delegation. Since earlier this year, we are an official department, so we are the ministerial, no longer ministerial, but we are a digital health delegation. And so it really shows also the importance of giving to giving really institutional backbone to such, such structures. Yeah, but to go back to 2019, that's where it all started. And that year, the Health Data Hub was also created. We can talk about that a little bit later. But back to the digital health strategy conception, it started off with both Laura Letourneau and Dominique Pont, who both co-led the design and deployment of the strategy. And the first thing they did, because they wanted to be close to the local actors, is that they conducted a Tour de France by visiting a really important number of regions, speaking to local actors to really understand their expectations, and then write down that strategy that has then further been deployed with now an assessment that's available also in English for 2019-2022. How has digital health been developed? We came from being one of the last ones in terms of digital health in the European Union to one of the drivers of it, now also co-leading the eHealth network and doing so much more at the European level following the French EU presidency in the first semester of 2022. So many more reasons to continue pushing collaborative European action also looking at the national digital health frameworks, as we did in France. But I think the key ingredients, to go back to that strategy, are citizen consultations, citizen participation. It's really part of our DNA. 
and also a strong ethics-based framework and value-based framework. So it's really always important to listen to the actors, to have respect for them, to their initiatives, to understand them, but really to listen and understand what the needs are. And this is something that drives us on a daily basis at the digital health delegation. And we're now about 40, whereas in the beginning, I think there were only five, five or so with Laura and Dominique. And last but not least, Something also important in our strategy is the doctrine, which we state as a platform doctrine, which basically pushes for a strong state to accompany private actors, but by providing them with guidelines, with standards, for example, for interoperability, security, and ethics. And what were some of the findings that you came about when doing all the citizen engagement? Can you maybe mention any of the assumptions or expectations that you had and what the results were after the discussions happened with the uh, public? Yeah, first of all, there's strong regional differences in France, France being traditionally a very centralized state, but having done those different consultations at the regional level, you can see really the importance of also giving light and weight to those local initiatives instead of just proposing a one-fits-all solution which will not work for them. So that's really something that came up quite early. Another reality is that there was maybe some apprehension in terms of digital health, not enough knowledge of what actually the benefits could be. And now that we're also speaking more and more about the risks of AI in health, of different digital health solutions, it's really important to accompany our messages always with pedagogic material, with evidence, with science to show really that it works and that the risks are really smaller than the benefits that can be gained out of digital health. And also in training, it's been quite a massive step as well to make digital health mandatory across healthcare professionals' initial training curricula starting next academic year. So it's always these steps that came into reality, that, but that really before necessitated quite a lot of consultation and quite a lot of dialogue with the actors to know really what they need. And training also was part of that, because if the doctors are not trained to deliver and prescribe those solutions, they just remain a theory. Mm-hmm. And uh, since you earlier mentioned the European health data space, and now the challenges or kind of the different expectations already on the regional level in France. What are you observing in the discussions around the European health data space that are happening among regulators and those that are basically going to be in charge of setting the whole infrastructure up and um, kind of defining how everything should look like? Yeah, so there's a lot of media attention now to the European health data space discussions and also all stakeholders who have provided opinions and expectations when there was actually the public consultation last year by the European Commission. Let's say we know the proposal as as it has been published actually in May last year. We know more or less what we can expect and I think it's a great opportunity to make Europe strong also with regards to that research innovation that's enabled, that's going to be possible with health data across borders and also makes Europe so unique and keeps also Europe strong with regards to what's happening also, for example, in China and the United States. It's important to keep innovators also on European soil. So I think it's a great opportunity, actually. We're currently fine-tuning the negotiations are still ongoing, but there's still articles which are being fine-tuned because there's so many national differences between opt-in, opt-out clauses, for example, about sovereignty, about what where solutions could be hosted, about extra European transfer of data. There's so many things that really need attention to detail. We can expect 
the European health data space to be a new GDPR. Uh, we would we think it has strong impact, so it needs to be really well written. So before it's going to be adopted, hopefully soon by the different European legislatures. But yeah, there's been great momentum around these initiatives and I think it's good. It shows actually how much importance this will gain. But maybe we should also leave the experts also now negotiate until the text is ready and then work with it all together. And the European health data space is actually already prepared by different actors. So you might know of the European joint actions which prepare for it. For example, TEDAS has been during two years led by CITRA, which is the Finnish Innovation Fund and with, I think, almost 30 partners, has worked on eight work packages, four of them being very content-oriented and has already, you know, very much proposed how the European health data space could look like in terms of governance, in terms of health data quality, in terms of infrastructure, in terms of citizen participation. And TEDAS will have a successor. TEDAS 2 is currently being proposed as well. And also the pilot, the European Health Data Space pilot, which is led by the French Health Data Hub, is another important initiative to prepare for the European Health Data Space because it brings together also a consortium, I don't remember how many actors, maybe 15, from different European countries who also have health data activities and who will exchange data for different research purposes. TechDAS also did a really great report with an overview of how basically different countries in Europe store the data and manage it. And maybe I can add that research to the show notes. But like what I kept thinking while you were talking and mentioning how different the European countries are is the entrepreneurs. So one of the common complaints that entrepreneurs have is the fragmentation of healthcare in Europe and the requirements that they need to adapt to on on specific uh, markets. So where would you put uh, France in that sense? So maybe you can talk a little bit more about the digital therapeutics framework that's now in place and how does the process for startups that have digital therapeutics look like? I'm also really wondering if any of the startups that have already successfully gone through the DIGA process in Germany. Have they already applied yet, if you perhaps know? But just to give us a bit of an overview of how the whole process is designed in France. Thank you. Great question. So before speaking about the new fast track for digital health solutions, which is called PICON, I will give you a little bit of the overview to actually respond to the current, to those fragmentations that you outlined and which I think are a reality in any place you'll go. In France, as part of the France 2030 strategy that you mentioned in the beginning, we have launched the Digital Health Acceleration Strategy, funded by 734 million euros, on which is interministerial. So this already responds to this kind of gap that might exist between competencies by having on board both the Education and Research Ministry, but also the Finance Ministry, along with the Health Ministry. It has already launched more than 30 actions, and including 11 calls for projects, and 105 winning projects have been funded. So... I think it's important in this respect that the state sends out such signals, important funding, and also makes it reality because you don't just want to announce funding and not provide the calls for projects behind. So we're working really hard on making this a reality. APE France is the operator of that. It's a national investment bank and works very smoothly along with them. And the project laureates are quite happy with the funding and produce really interesting results thanks to that. Around 400 million have will actually been deployed until end of 2023. So you see the money is already also spent and not just announced. Yeah. So there's several steps as part of this national acceleration strategy. It's composed of five axes and 35 actions. 
And what's important to know here is that it's also been constructed by a public consultation. So there were actually back then, before it's been announced, 2021, there have been more than almost 350 responses which were collected, analyzed, both quantitative and qualitative parts, questionnaires and also interviews were conducted. Now the five parts of the strategy, we see digital health innovation as in con a continuum, so an end-to-end -end deployment starting in the lab, research lab, which was support being provided to help innovators actually create the solutions, research, and also write the protocols, have them check for the quality. So there's, for example, a call ongoing on medical economic quality of such protocols so that they actually can pass the threshold of reimbursement. So the strategy also includes the training part that I mentioned to you. Next year, digital health will be mandatory for initial curricula for healthcare professionals, but there's so much more training that's offered also for the medical social sector. What is medical social? It's a very French term. It refers to all social care for the elderly, nursing homes, and so on. There's also a need to deploy digital health training there, and also for kind of spice professionals who have already lots of experience who might be not so open to receiving additional training, they also included in that action. Another stage is actually at the deployment of those digital health solutions. You might just mentioned the PECON model as actually part of this one. I'm going to develop in just a second. There's also different stages on maturation, on the structuring of projects, and then the full deployment. So it really includes the whole end-to-end -end stages of digital health innovation. Now PECON, as you just asked about it, is the new fast track for digital medical devices for the French market, on the one hand for remote telemonitoring, remote monitoring solutions, and on the other hand for DTX, so digital therapeutics. How does it work? It's a little bit similar to the German DIGA model in the sense that it's only provisional listing, so you get to the market, but you just stay there for a year and then you need to file for permanent reimbursement if you pretend to stay, but especially and most importantly, if you have pro proving data, if you have the right data to show that your solution actually works and brings benefit both in terms of clinical benefit and added value, but also to the organization of care, that it improves the organization of care. And so you come basically to with two files. If you're an innovator, you propose your scientific evidence file to the National Health Authority. Sorry, yes, it's called ASHA-S, Health Technology Assessment Authority. And you propose an interoperability file and security file to our national digital health agency called INS. So together and also including the ministry, which will do the final assessment. It should not take longer than 90 days until you get a response whether you can be listed temporarily as on the pay call list. And while you are being listed, you need to start already collecting data because no later than six months before actually your phase, your one-year period ends, you need already to submit your dossier actually for permanent listing. So you need to be quite fast in collecting the data and to proposing already the final filing and for telemonitoring, I believe it's nine months. So you have three more months to, to collect the data. There have already been price, price lists already published for telemonitoring solutions uh, still pending for DTX. You can imagine it's quite a, a big process to, to publish those prices because it includes the consultation of the whole ecosystem as well. And it's in the hand of our minister, obviously, to approve those final lists. And those prices will also be soon out. Remote monitoring ones you can already check in our official journal. And you can consult the links also to them if you want on Genius. Genius is the platform for digital health entrepreneurs, which is also funded by the Digital Health Acceleration Strategy. And yes, to respond to your question, we have already received a bunch of applications 
We're really excited also on receiving applications from non-French entrepreneurs and innovators because they're also eligible to get access to PECAN. Indeed, some of the procedures are in French, but interviews, for example, with the National Health Authority, HAS, can be conducted also in English partially, so it's not a total barrier. You can come go by it somehow. And we hope also, you know, that some of the listings, the successful listings in the DIGA model, for example, could also access the French market. Maybe I can explain in a little bit later part of this interview, the harmonization exercise we're currently also doing at the European level to avoid that we have 27 entry points, but maybe at some point we can have a single one. Yeah, we should definitely touch upon that. If I understood correctly around pricing, the pricing models or options on how some how much something should cost is going to be predefined and then the digas are going to fall into different categories or how is that going to look like yes it's different from the german model in the sense that i believe the german model was a free price a free pricing and then the price would be defined after a year of being on the market with potential reimbursement with regards in comparison to the previous price. So it can be more. And I believe some companies have already gotten prices that were not exactly in their business model and couldn't cope with it. We're trying to do a bit differently in the sense that the price lists are published beforehand. So we give transparency to innovators about how much they can actually pretend to. And when the final price is being reimbursed, the gap shouldn't be that large. That's a major difference. But it doesn't give so much liberty also to the innovators the way it does in the German model. I think innovators know very well what their costs are. And the, I think the challenge that we all face will be the volume part, because we can't exactly expect, predict how much the solutions will be prescribed in France, we know that digital health training and so on will actually be a good factor for companies to know that there is a good ground for doctors also to prescribe, for patients to adopt and so on, but maybe it's not enough. And we have much uncertainty about the reality of prescriptions of digital therapeutics. So both models have their pros and cons, I would say, and we need to see in practice in a few years what works better. Mm -hmm. But uh, the applications need to be localized and translated. You mentioned that basically some of the interviews and the process is happening in English, but then the end product needs to be in French. Yes, the submission, the files, because there's two files, the scientific one and then the security interoperability one need to be in French. However, exactly, the interviews and also the questions you may ask, you can ask actually previous questions both to the HIS and to the ANS. They're quite available. There's um, a support desk in both institutions for such questions. Not too specific questions, obviously, because there shouldn't be any bias in terms of applications, but they give very good general advice and do this also in English language. Since we, we talked also about data and you said that you want to talk a little bit more about data harmonization, can you maybe briefly explain before that what is the Health Data Hub, which is the public platform for accessing French health data, and it also actually serves as an intermediary for research projects. So let's start there and then go to the data question. Sure. So in France, we have the great luck, actually, to have a very huge national claims health claims database, which is called SNDS, so the National 
health data system, Système National des Données de Santé, and it covers almost the entire French population because there's several specific insurance schemes which coexist but which do not cover the major part of the population. So I guess 95% is part of the is part of the National Health Insurance Scheme by the CNAM, the National Health Insurance Body, and so they collect data. So that's quite important information, and the Health Data Hub actually makes that data available for research and innovation purposes, so for reuse, secondary use. And they have basically the data from the health insurance card, which is called uh, SNIRAM. They also have data from the hospital management part, so there's data you need to calculate different costs and very much hospital management data. It's called the PMSI. And then you have actually a death database also available as part of the SNDS. This all Uh, includes data from the kind of former SMDS and now actually all data which is linked to reimbursement is part of the, the SMDS since 2019, since this Mass Santé 2022 health reform has been adopted. So there's been a kind of little revolution in the terms of health data being made available because just speaking about this kind of non-static, non-granular administrative health data, but you're even speaking about nice cohorts about super interesting clinical data that can be actually matched together with those administrative databases. And so this is what the Health Data Hub does. They have incredibly talented technicians and health informaticians and engineers working on those databases to make them as qualitative as possible and to make them available for reuse. And how does it work? If you're a researcher, you can just click. I mean, there's always also an open SNDS if you want to do a quick research. But if you really want to get to the very specific data sets, individual pseudonymized health data, you need to provide a scientific protocol that has been studied by a scientific and ethics committee by the Health Data Hub. The secretariat is in the Health Data Hub, not in the Health Data Hub because it's supposed to be independent. They evaluate the request, the scientific protocol for its quality, but also they look in a very GDPR-like manner, is this the minimum data set requested? So is this actually really the data that you need in order to respond to your research objective? And if this is, and so many more factors are the case, you get green light or you get yellow light and you need to revise your protocol or you get directly red light because your protocol is not adapted. Then you go to the CNIL, which is our national data protection agency, uh, looking also into GDPR issues, data protection and so on. And if they also give green light, you can go to the Health Data Hub and access the data that you requested on a very secured analytical space. As a researcher, very nice to work with, nice tools, R, Python, and so on. I'm not an expert about these different analytical tools, but they're all available. And so this is good for researchers to work on their projects. And there's so many already on the website of the Health Data Hub that you can look at. For example, some of the projects try to check uh, like how to make patient management as a result of new organizational methods, more efficient. Others check, for example, how to predict individual patient trajectories and improving prevention actions towards them. And others really also can be used in future response if there's any pandemic to come in the future. This data can also prevent and help to give the best political and scientific evidence to formulate public policies in response to that. Sorry, I was a bit long, but this Health Data Hub is a fantastic initiative that we're quite proud of. And it's quite unique, I would say. In Finland, there's FinData, which is... Uh, I was just about to ask if, yeah. if it could be compared to FinData and where, do you, where would you say that the two kind of databases or organizations differ? I think FinData includes also social data, which is not yet the case yeah. uh, in France. And I think 
still it's the future for great research also based on social determinants of health to have this kind of data also mobilized in, in research projects that look at both factors why for example certain pathologies arise in specific populations in specific geographical areas and so on given different education backgrounds so that's the strength of the data that they have also social data they're a bit smaller i think very much smaller than the Health Data Hub, but Finland is also a smaller country in terms of population. I guess this explains also the difference in size. The procedures are quite public on the FinData website. They're also public on the Health Data Hub website, but there's no pricing list or so yet published, which is, however, the case for FinData. Since day one of their operation, they have been publishing prices. And it's quite interesting for you as a researcher to know how much you will actually be charged. In France, the principle is to get free access if you are a public body or academic body with no private links. If it's if you're a public structure, there will be some charge. However, your research project needs to be, and I didn't mention that before, it's quite important to know, it needs to be for public interest research. So it needs to serve the wider public. You can just develop a new commercial product or a new drug and use the Health Data Hub for that. So that's also, I would say, important to know. And FinData, I think, also has public interest in its mandate. But other than that, I think they both seek to do the same objective, to give access to the research community, even to patients who can also, if they want to formulate a protocol, they technically could actually also access the data. And is the data continuously added to the Digital Health Hub? And I just wanted to clarify in terms of the data harmonization, is the data just gathered from different sources and then the hub takes care of the harmonization so the data is useful for research? You're underlining a very important point about the quality of data because you can have great data, but if it's incomplete or of bad quality, you can actually not reuse it for such research purposes. This is in the hands, obviously, of the experts of the Health Data Hub who are trying out different standards and who are curating the data also to make it qualitative. It's a very important workload and there's a data team there. I'm not speaking on behalf of them, but I know there's important efforts. And at the European level, there's also efforts in adopting standards, data standards, to actually make sure that they can actually be interoperable. It's the big word here. For example, for medical terminologies, SNOMED City has been adopted at the EU level, I believe, last year. There have been other standards which are being tested. I think OMOP has been also tested and so on. There's so many more, but yeah, I think anyways, in those hubs, both FinData and Health Data Hub, there are experts who do that work about making the data qualitative and reusable. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you wanted to add in terms of the data harmonization? Not data harmonization. Maybe I would just like to say something on the harmonization of evaluation criteria of digital medical uh-huh. devices. This has all started actually end of 2021 when EIT Health actually convened or actually met with major stakeholders back then from the Health Innovation Hub, which was a German initiative which was then handed over to the Ministry of Health. Actually, it was hosted by the Ministry of Health, I believe, but that's when the DIGA kind of was, had already been launched and there was a first assessment. French actors came there and also said, oh, we also want to do this and so on. And that actually was the momentum to launch a task force to harmonize evaluation criteria for digital medical devices in the European Union, which was done in April uh, 2022 during the French EU presidency. And so this was done by using the tool of a task force. So it was it is still presided by the digital health delegation of the French Ministry of Health co-presided by UNETA, which is the European network of HTA agencies and coordinated very well by EIT Health. And it has also a rapporteur, which is the head of digital medicine, Jochen Klucken from the University of Luxembourg. And then we have been able to actually regroup actors from 
many different countries of the European Union, mainly HDA experts, but also people from government. And they have been working on three different work packages. The first one defining is to define the taxonomy of what is meant by digital medical devices. It's an infinite list of items, and they were able to actually include and actually get to a few very solid definitions using evidence and using different existing frameworks, and it's about to be finished. Work package two is about the assessment of what is the minimum evidence needed to assess digital medical devices. What do we really need? What don't we need? And how can we harmonize across countries? This is the most important work package in our view and it's still ongoing. And we have launched a questionnaire. We have already collected nine or 10 responses from countries. We're still waiting for more countries to respond to that to be able to have a very European vision. But we're also working on the site on the more evidence-related criteria. And then last but not least, the third one is about the adoption, which also includes societal factors, ethics, and patient involvement in that respect. So they're also working towards the end of the work package. I think we believe that we need both work package one and two to feed into the third, but it's already ongoing. Yeah, so we plan by the end of this year to finalize our recommendations and to make them also available on the EIT Health website. There's also private actors involved, but only outside of the work package group. So it's actually the advisory board, which has been launched in November 2022 at the Bocconi University in Milano and includes 15 private actors, both innovators, but also federations and from different countries, also European level. Some members like Orca are also part of it. They can provide experience also on the technical, on the standards and so on. It's quite useful. Yeah, so they actually challenge us. They come and say, okay, this is practical, this is useful, and this is a use case you could need, and it's really very helpful. But the work, the work packages and their leaders remain independent, so as the task force as a whole. And we believe this is important to seek the momentum of the European Union, the European single market, to make this a reality and not just do everything in our corners. And we're expecting also, not only with regards to the task force for digital medical devices, but also the European health data space, we're expecting very impatiently the State of the Union address by Ursula von der Leyen from the European Commission early September, to see also a little bit where the European Union goes and how we can also position ourselves more effectively. But these work packages are more like guidelines that the countries can then use to design their own models in terms of how they will regulate the software medical devices. Yeah, software medical devices. Yeah, and how they will evaluate not only software, you know, mm -hmm. speaking really about the evaluation of such solutions. So not only software, but also digital health applications. We're speaking about the many different reimbursable solutions, actually. And it is very much of a national competency to decide what is being covered in the national list. But if we can agree on evaluation, and I think the force of the task force is that we have some of the HTA representatives in there. So they have the direct influence and the direct knowledge and ground experience to let us know whether this is actually practicable. So we believe that the recommendations will actually be more than just paper, but actually already be partially implemented as soon as they're being published. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it would be a dream come true if you <laughs> would just go to one regulatory body in Europe and have access to various markets. But I guess that's not how things are going to go. It still could be at least a little bit more easier if the differences wouldn't be too big. Yes, correct. Yeah. The healthcare systems are quite different. We have achieved that for the European Medicines Agency. So maybe there could be at some point a European medical device agency or at least a very specific for digital health. Maybe that's 
we're in the far future still, but could be a step forward. You're right underlining the differences of national healthcare systems, and we can't just do the one-fits-all solution in the Bismarckian system towards a Beveridgean system, for example. It's totally different realities, and the solutions are not adopted in the same way. So it's important to keep in mind, as you say, the national specificities, but we can still find common grounds, common denominators to work together, and I think we'll get there, and the task force is a good example for that. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health, a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. If you enjoyed the show, do leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast, subscribe to the show, or follow us on LinkedIn. Additionally, check out our newsletter. You can find it at fodh.substack.com. That's fodh.substack.com. Stay tuned.